Please turn again in your Bibles to Psalm 13. You can have that open as we uh, come to study it together this evening, this short psalm. And we take as our theme just the, the first two words of the psalm. How long? How long? Alistair Begg, one of, a favourite uh, Reformed preacher in these days. He was speaking at a conference a number of years ago and he said that one of his least favourite questions uh, a question that often begins a worship service these days is, how do you all feel? How are you all feeling today? And uh, Alistair Begg said that his issue with the worship leader or whoever it was that begins services with this question is that the answer really is, is ignored. The worship leader or whoever it is is going to begin the service in whatever way they were going to begin the service, regardless of what people say, if indeed they say anything. In response to that question, how are you feeling? You could be sitting there feeling rotten, feeling empty, feeling fed up, feeling like a big part of you doesn't really want to be there at all. Then someone on a stage at the front asks you how you're feeling and they don't really want to know the answer. And what follows often, uh, not always, but often times in modern worship is a long series of songs that are supposed to make us feel good without really being honest about the difficulties and the frustrations and the questions that we have in our Christian lives. If the book of Psalms was being edited today, I'm not sure Psalm 13 would make the cut. If it was being edited by human editors, of course, that is. We might be able to make something of the last couple of verses. We could stretch them out. We could repeat some of the words 10 or 12 times. But what are we supposed to do with the rest of this psalm? Uh, Verses 1 and 2 is just a lot of moaning and groaning. Is this really how we're supposed to worship? In the very first line, the psalmist says, God's forgotten all about him. You might think, is that even theologically sound? Is this really how we're supposed to worship God? Well, of course it is. This is God's word. This is part of the songbook that he has given to us to use in worship to him. You notice the introduction of the psalm. It says to the choir master, a psalm of David. And so the psalmist, the king of Israel, David, in whom dwelt the power of the Holy Spirit. He says to the choir master, the uh, the priests who led worship. Here's one for you to get ready for worship. Our loving, good, gracious God commands us to worship him in reverence, in spirit and in truth, and also with honesty, with honesty. A worship leader standing on a stage perhaps doesn't know how you feel. A preacher in a pulpit doesn't necessarily know how you feel either. But God knows how you feel. And that's why he's designed a songbook covering every range of emotion Every experience we could possibly imagine. Psalm 13 mightn't have made the cut if the book of Psalms had been arranged by men. But it's been arranged by God who knows far better what we need. So the first thing to consider from this psalm this evening is the question repeatedly asked. The question repeatedly asked. As is the case with most of the psalms written by David, we don't know what exactly was going on in his life when he wrote Psalm 13. And we're better off that way in many respects. We, we don't need to have been God's chosen king living 3,000 years ago, fighting battles 
to identify with the questions of David's Psalms. Uh, And in a sense, because we don't know the specifics of a situation, we can perhaps identify even more with the questions that that he asks. It's possible that David was facing a life-threatening situation when he wrote this psalm. Although, given what David went through over the course of his life, that hardly narrows it down. Uh, But if you look at verse 3, he talks about sleeping the sleep of death. Several times in the psalm, he pictures death as an enemy lurking nearby. Whatever David was facing, look at his honesty. Look at his bluntness as he begins in verse 1. How long, O Lord? How long? How long? The question is actually repeated four times in the first two verses. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? How long? When he says in verse 1, will you forget me forever? He's, he's not speaking as we would about someone forgetting something. If you forget to do the dishes that your wife asked you to do, or if you forget to pick something up at the shop, it's because it didn't enter your head. It's because your limited capacity did not have space, or maybe you didn't care that much about the thing that you were supposed to be doing. Otherwise, you would have remembered it. That's not what David means when he says that God has forgotten him. That's not ever what the Bible means when it speaks of God forgetting or remembering. What David means by forget is that God has not yet given him any help. When God remembers in the Old Testament, it means that he is about to do something. It means that the appointed time in his sovereign sovereign will has come when he intervenes on behalf of his people. Probably the best example would be Exodus 2.24 when, uh, when God sees his people in Egypt. He sees the slavery that they've been going through and it says that he remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. And again, that doesn't mean he had forgotten the covenant in the sense that we forget to do the dishes. It means that the time had come when he would act upon that covenant. And so what David is saying here is, God, when are you going to act? When are you going to give the help that I know you can give, but you haven't yet given? How much longer am I going to have to wait? How long? How long? Let me ask you, Christian, child of God, is this question part of your worship? Do you ask this question of God? How long will the pain of this illness last? How long before my loved one, my child, my grandchild, my friend becomes a Christian? I've been praying for them for years. How long before I can get married? How long before we can have children? How long until our church gets stronger? How long until society stops celebrating sins? And starts repenting of sins. How long are we going to keep getting news bulletins about hospitals being blown up with children inside them? How long? Charles Spurgeon called Psalm 13 the howling psalm. How long? Howling? It's an honest question. and It's a repeated question. And it's a, 
A question that perhaps at times we howl out to God from the depths of despair. (coughs) Maybe it's a question that you're asking today. This is often how we feel in a world that doesn't work, in a world that is tiring and tempting and at times tormenting. Spurgeon says, time flies with full-fledged wing in our summer days, but in our winters, time flutters painfully. In other words, the tough days seem to last much longer than the good days. We're a couple of weekends away from the clocks changing, which, although it means an hour's less sleep that particular Sabbath morning, it means we'll get a lot more daylight. And I don't know about you, but I'll take the daylight over the hour's sleep. Uh, those long spring and summer evenings are almost here. But I'm sure you've wondered at times, why do the long summer days seem to go so quickly and the short winter days seem to go so slowly? And what's true in nature is often true in our spiritual lives as well. The difficult days, the trials seem to drag on and on. The better days, the encouraging days seem to fly past before we've properly savoured them. Psalms like this are honest about just how big a toll our difficulties can take on us. David just keeps asking, how long? Here's a believer at the very limits of his belief, a faithful follower at the limits of his faith. Have you been in that kind of situation? Is that where you are maybe even today? I don't know every need of your life. I hope I know some of them. I certainly endeavour to pray for the ones that I do know about. But I know that there will be things between you and God about which perhaps no one else knows. Are you in a how long moment in your life? Have you been asking this question for a while? Does it feel like you're waiting for God to remember you, to help you? If that's the case, friend, be assured it's, it's no reason to doubt your faith. It's no reason to think that you're not really a Christian. This is something that even God's chosen king at this time, King David, experienced. It's also something that the Lord Jesus Christ experienced. That's why I read earlier from Mark chapter 9. Did you notice the question that Jesus asked three times in that chapter? How long? Came down from the mountain, that wonderful moment of encouragement that Jesus would have gone through. uh, That moment of transfiguration and his disciples there and Moses and Elijah encouraging him and preparing him for his journey to Jerusalem. And then he comes down the mountain. And there's Satan convulsing and attacking some poor child. And Jesus says, how long? How long must I keep confronting the (coughs) horrendous wickedness of this world? If you're asking how long today, here's an honest Sam, an honest believer asking that same question. It's no reason to doubt your faith. It's all the more reason, friends, to express your faith through prayer to God. And that's the second thing that we see in this psalm. We've seen the question repeatedly asked. And then we see secondly the prayer directly made. The prayer directly made. <clears throat> I wonder if you ever had a doctor test your reflexes. Um, unexpectedly a few weeks ago I found myself in that position. Um, and they, they give you a little tap on your knee with the instrument that... 
Uh, those of us who are too ignorant to know the terms, it looks like a little hammer. And if, you, and if your reflexes are good, uh, your legs should jerk up instantly and involuntarily. Or imagine someone who's working as a, as a bodyguard for the President of the United States. They're, they're so highly trained that they fired a gun so many times at the range that it's reflex. If they had to, they would have their gun out, they would, they would, they would shoot it uh, without even thinking about it. It would just be a reflex. Well, there's such a thing as spiritual reflexes too. Uh, the first thing we do when we're facing difficulty, when we're discouraged, when we're tempted, it tells us something about our spiritual health. David does keep saying how long. He keeps asking the question. But what does he do once he's asked it a few times? Look at verse 3. Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Consider and answer me. The Psalms aren't just songs, of course. Many of them uh, are also prayers. And so David here is not complaining to other people. Uh, To put it in modern language, he doesn't tweet about it or phone into radio shows to give off about it. He asks God directly, how long? And having asked that question, he He asks in prayer for God to consider him and to answer him in due course. He knows that the Lord God, Yahweh, is the only one who can do anything about the how long. David's instinct, friends, his natural reflex is to pray. Ralph Davis says there may be times when faith does not have its reasons, but it still has its reactions. Faith may not have its reasons, but it still has its reactions. In other words, we don't know all the reasons why we're going through what we're going through, but our natural reaction is still to bring it to God, to pray, to seek his face. And there will be times, Christian, in your life when that must be what you do. Yes, it's, of course, we should, we should bear one another's burdens. We should let each other know when we go through such times of of doubt or pain or difficulty or even cynicism. But that doesn't mean that we at some point don't need to also bring those things to God in prayer. And of course Satan will want us in those moments not to pray. He'll want us to doubt and to be cynical and to think well I've prayed about this for so long already and I've seen no results. Or does God really care about this particular thing? This personal issue in my life. Does he care about that? Satan will want you to think that way. The only thing for a Christian to do sometimes is to keep on praying. And some of you perhaps can testify better than I can to the power of prayer and the encouragement of prayer when all hope seems lost. I remember one elderly saint in her last weeks on earth, her body was failing, she was experiencing pain and and, and discomfort and this was her testimony that the The power of prayer sustained her, kept the pain at bay and kept her eyes fixed, spiritually speaking, upon the Lord Jesus. David says in verse 3, Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death, lest my enemies say I have prevailed over him, lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. When he says light up my eyes, there's there's a bit of a theme here and there in the Old Testament of the eyes uh, sort of, showing you the the life of a person 
Uh, talks here and there in the Old Testament about people's eyes lighting up or, or brightness or, or life in their eyes. And so what David's saying here is that he needs his life revived spiritually as well as physically perhaps. That spark of life has perhaps gone out of his eyes. And we would talk in similar ways about people today that they just look a bit absent or uh, just a bit defeated. And David's saying that's been his experience and he needs revival, he needs refreshment. Remember, friends, this is God's chosen king. This is the, uh, the Messiah at that point in history. Not the ultimate Messiah, of course, but the chosen king for God's people at that time in history. And this is the suffering that he felt. And he wants the reputation of God and the glory of God to be known. He doesn't want God's enemies to be exalted. That's what he's saying there. In, in verse 4, he doesn't want the enemies of God to get the final say. Uh, to be able to say, look, God wasn't able to help his chosen king, his chosen people. And so he prays and he seeks God more fervently and earnestly than ever before. See friends, those difficult moments, the, the how long moments in life, they, 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 they are to prompt us, they are to urge us more and more. To rely upon God's grace. The times in David's life when he was forced to pray like this. Perhaps when he was on the run from Saul. Or when he was pursuing his enemies. Or when his own son Absalom was coming after him. Those were the times in David's life when he prayed. When he kept close fellowship with God. Those are the times in his story. If you study particularly the book of, of Samuel. First and second Samuel. If you read through David's life. He actually is, is so much closer with God. He is, he is more of a man after God's own heart in those years of trial. It was actually when he got too comfortable, when he could afford to start walking around on his roof with nothing to do, that David started to make mistakes and his spiritual reflexes grew weaker and he fell into spiritual drift and sin at times. And so friends, as Peter and James tell us in their letters, we're not to be surprised by fiery trials, but we're to see them as opportunities to strengthen our spiritual reflexes. How are your spiritual reflexes? In difficult moments, is our first instinct complaint, loss of temper, frustration, or is it prayer? Is a belief that God will not forget us forever. That in fact he hasn't forgotten us at all. Do we believe he's bigger and better than the governments and the social media influencers and the warmongers? Do we pray as we walk into the office or the classroom full of unbelievers? Do we pray as we embark on particular service for God? Do we pray for our children weighing up their futures considering where best to live or work or study? Do we pray about our relationships and our friendships? Do we pray for this little church and all her needs? Do we believe God can, can deliver us even from death? You know that's your greatest need today, to get the victory over your worst enemy, death itself. You might die young, you might die old. You might die after illness, you might die in relative peace. But you are going to die. Death is the enemy of us all. 
Is your death going to be the moment that you pass into damnation and punishment forever for your sin? Or is death for you going to be that stepping stone into glory? You see your Saviour face to face and see the one to whom and through whom you have been making your prayers and living life even under trial with faith in him. How are your reflexes? How is your prayer life? When you have to ask how long, make sure God is the first one that you're asking. The question repeatedly asked, the prayer directly made, and then thirdly and finally this evening, the reason we can still rejoice. The reason we can still rejoice. Look at verse 5. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. Again, friends, here's the hallmark of genuine Christian faith. Here's what it means to be a believer. We're not defined by how we feel. Half the time we feel rotten. We feel fed up with the frustrations of this sinful world. We feel like shouting, I've had enough. That's how we feel. But what do we know? Who do we believe in? Ourselves? No. Your steadfast love, David says. I have trusted in your steadfast love. The Hebrew word is chesed. Grace, loving kindness, salvation. One writer says the psalmist turns his attention not to the quality of his faith, but to its object and outcome. Sometimes it's not the strength of our faith that matters. You might be barely able to get five words of a prayer prayed, but do you still pray? And is it still to God to whom you go with your complaint? I have trusted in your steadfast love. It's God unchanging in his strength, all-knowing in his knowledge, sovereign in every trial that he brings into our lives, gracious to have saved us in Christ, It's to him that we bring our prayers. It's faith in God's grace that says, I'm asking how long today, but I know I'll be rejoicing in the end. It's faith in God's grace that turns up for worship when worship is the last thing we feel like doing. It's faith in God's grace that says, this wasn't my plan at all. This wasn't the way I would have wanted things to be. But I know in the end God will show himself to have been perfectly sovereign and perfectly good. It's interesting back in verse 2 one of the things David asked was how long must I take counsel in my soul and of sorrow in my heart? What he means is he's trying to make plans. Take counsel there. He's trying to figure things out. He's trying to make plans and he's doing so in a state of complete exhaustion And discouragement and frustration. How good do our plans tend to be when we make them in those moments? Not very good. We can't think straight. We're running on emotion. We tend not to be able to think things through. Can you identify with that? And yet by the end of the psalm, David says, I know, I know. I'll be able to look back and see how God has dealt bountifully with me bountifully the word there means to be completely provided for it's got the sense of perfect ongoing provisions not just that you get bits and pieces here and there but that you're perfectly provided for all through life 
That's David's experience of his God. God is the perfect father who has dealt bountifully with his people. In Christ Jesus, we are washed, we are cleansed, we are justified, we are sanctified, we are adopted, and we are being prepared for heaven. We go through the fire of trials in this life, but the fire of trial for Christians is temporary. The bliss of glory will be eternal. But again, for those who do not know and love Jesus Christ, the opposite is true. Whatever freedom and days of joy they think they have now, one day it will be permanently gone. And they'll find themselves in that hell of fire forever. And they will be left asking how long for eternity. And the answer will never come. It's okay to ask how long. But may those howlings give way quickly to prayer. And may we remind ourselves of the grace by which we have been saved and in which we stand. The grace provided for us by Jesus Christ. On the cross, Christ didn't ask how long, but he did ask an even more searching and profound question. He asked, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In that moment, he was experiencing the the full wrath of God on our, on, for our sin being poured out on, on him instead. But he also then said to the thief who repented beside him today, you will be with me in paradise. Even as he was dying on the cross, friends, even as he was experiencing the most piercing trial, literally and spiritually, he was focused on the outcome. What he knew was coming in a few moments, that his father would deal bountifully with him. Today, Jesus has no need to say how long, but he has every sympathy with those of us who do find ourselves at times saying how long. He knows what it is to say how long. He knows the frustration of, of, of life in a sinful, sorrowful, spiritually at warfare world. But dear friends, he has dealt bountifully with us, has he not? If you're a Christian, he has showered you in blessings You've been predestined from before the foundations of the world to be holy and blameless in God's sight. You have a home in heaven waiting for you. He has shown you bountiful grace. Charles Spurgeon said that the closing line of this psalm was the the perfect answer to the opening line. The opening line, how long, O Lord? The closing line, he has dealt bountifully with me. And so Spurgeon says, the complaint which in our haste we utter, that complaint of how long, shall be joyfully retracted and we shall witness that the Lord has dealt bountifully with us. So friends, let's be thankful for the honesty of the Psalms. Let's be honest ourselves in our worship. Let's make our prayers to God. May he produce that spiritual reflex in us that says, first we pray. And in those days of asking how long, may we not lose sight of the overabundant, bountiful grace that God can and God will give, even as we make our prayers directly to him. Amen.